Well, I would invite you this morning to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to be spending time in the first 11 verses. Transitions are hard. It doesn't matter what the transition. Maybe it's some kind of a transfer of leadership or authority. It's hard. Whether you're stepping into a position, maybe you're the new administrator, or maybe you're stepping into the classroom as the new teacher, or in the office as the new office manager, or even into a home as the brand new babysitter, whenever any of us steps into a new position, a transitional position that comes with responsibility, it is a challenge. But, but on, the other, on the other side, there's something else that's difficult. Releasing that authority to a new person, releasing that position you had to a new person, delegating authority to them, and then taking a big step back and letting them manage on their own, that's hard too. As a parent, uh, we've had those opportunities. We've had those opportunities to release, and, and it's very difficult. I recall several years ago, quite a few years ago now, standing over here in the parking lot and watching as my car drove out and turned left onto Geneva Road and headed down to the Dairy Queen. I stood by my wife and watched our daughter drive our car away. Releasing is hard. The book of Acts brings us to this time of transition and release, especially right here in chapter 1. As we look at those last instructions of Jesus, we're going to get this sense of, of his confidence in his followers, but more so his confidence in the fact that he knew that God the Holy Spirit would be leading them through the next stages of development of God's plan. He knew that it was going to be the Holy Spirit that would be guiding them through the church age. And I believe that's why Jesus had confidence. Now, if you're a first follower of Jesus back there in that time, I believe, like we mentioned last week, there's probably that still that sense of, okay, uh, what now? But we have to remember Jesus is the ultimate trainer and teacher. And we have to never forget those words of comfort that he gave his followers in the upper room during that night in which he was betrayed, recorded in John 14, 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. You see, for Jesus, this was not a sink or swim moment. It may have felt that way for the disciples, but for Jesus, it, it wasn't that. They, they were not only fully prepared, they were never alone because God the Holy Spirit was going to be with them, and he's with you and me. I think this is a, a reality principle that you and I need to keep in mind. This is one that we always need to bear in mind and, and have really in the back of our thoughts, and it's simply this. There are times in your life, there are times in my life when we may be by ourselves, but God never leaves us alone. He's always with us. With us. And so to prepare the disciples for the now what moment, Luke shows us how, several key components in those last days with Jesus. Let me just read the first three verses of Acts 1. We're going to kind of walk through this uh, step at a time here. Chapter 1, verse 1. We saw a little bit of this last week. 
Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So for those 40 days, basically a month and a half, Jesus spoke to the disciples, to the apostles, as Luke calls them, often. And what he gave them in reality was foundational knowledge. Understanding foundational realities are so important. Uh, we all have certain things that we call foundational realities, things that we have to know. There are foundational realities you and I needed to know before we got a driver's license. There are foundational things that we need to take in school, foundational subjects that help us achieve the, the things we need to achieve so we can graduate. I remember as a freshman in high school, I was given one elective. Now, that's the way it looked on paper. In my life, it was not an elective. In my life, I was given one decision. My mother decided that for that elective class, I needed to take typing. Uh, I, I didn't really want to take typing. Uh, I didn't see it as necessary, but who knew how prophetic my mother would be. She believed that my being able to type was a foundational reality. So there I sat in typing class in front of a manual typewriter. Google it, kids. You'll see what they look like. And we had to start out, you know, A, 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 and all the way through the home row. The one row was the home row. And we had to start out through the home row and know all those letters. And then we would move up and down and around. And eventually we were typing sentences. And when you got really good, you got to move to the back of the class so from going to the manual, we had to reach up and hit the butt, or the lever to put the platen back to the original position. Now you got the IBM Selectrix where you just pushed a button and ding, it went back. I did not know at the time how important that foundational reality would be. But then I graduated from high school and I go to college and I was able to type all of my own papers. And in fact, I made a little bit of money typing the papers of friends. And I graduate from college, I get married, I go to seminary, and my wife did not tape, type one of my seminary papers. I typed all of my own seminary papers, and I typed my own master's thesis. And then many years later, when I did my doctoral work, I typed all of my doctoral papers and my doctoral dissertation. My mom gave me a foundational reality. And Jesus, in those 40 days, gave those disciples what I believe are two core foundational realities. The first thing he wanted them to always remember is that simple reality. We see it here. Luke says he showed them convincing proofs that he was alive. Jesus wanted them to have that foundational reality that they were serving a living, risen Jesus. And that was a foundational reality that would carry them through so many things. It was something that they had to be aware of so that when they ran into trouble, when they ran into struggles, when they ran into challenges, they could go back and go, yes, but I am serving a Christ who's alive 
who conquered death, who achieved everything he said he would achieve, who fulfilled the prophets, and therefore I have courage. And the other thing he wanted them to know is he spoke about the kingdom of God. There were so many things Jesus could have said and done, but he focused them on, I'm alive, and he focused them on, this is what the kingdom of God is. And that was really a reiteration of all his teaching. You go back through the Gospels, especially Matthew and Luke, and you see how many times Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he followed with a parable. This is what the kingdom of God is like, and he followed with a parable. Jesus wanted them to know what the kingdom was like, and, and actually he summarized it several times, saying the kingdom is bound up in Loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. The kingdom of God is trusting God no matter what. The kingdom of God is communicating with God in prayer. The kingdom of God is living generously. The kingdom of God is to be what drives us day in and day out. Jesus wanted the disciples to be secure in what they believed because it was going to get challenging every step of the way. And that's a good reminder for us. You see, it is vital for you and me to know what we believe. We live in a culture and a world that's not keen on objective truth, I would say, in theory. We talk a lot about being true to ourselves. We talk a lot about believing in ourselves. And there's a modicum of truth to that. We do need to have a healthy self-concept, a healthy self-confidence. That's important. But if we are to follow Jesus and live a life that reflects the clear principles of the kingdom of God, we need to know what we believe, and we need to take what we believe, what we say we believe, run it through the grid of the Word of God, and make sure that it's not just knowledge that we have, just wrote facts, but it's truly that which we believe, we live by, we base our faith and our life on. We need to know what we believe. In verses 4 and 5, we, we continue on. Luke writes, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke says there's some instructions here. And the first instruction, we saw it last week. We'll come back to it now this week. He told them to wait. You see, I kind of wonder if the disciples were a little excited I mean, they, they had seen the fulfillment of prophecy. They had been spending time with the risen, living Jesus Christ. They had seen him do some good things. They'd seen convincing proofs, as Luke says, for his resurrection. And I got to wonder if they were like, okay, this is great. Let's go. And, and, and Jesus said you needed to wait because the enduring, guiding presence of the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them. I recall hearing one of our professors speak to chapel during my senior year at the Moody Bible Institute. And it was very obvious that he had been teaching students for quite some time. You see, as an RA, I had gotten into 
conversations with some of the younger students on my floor. They were grousing about things like writing papers and why do we need to know about the, the, the seven statement, the seven I am statements and the seven discourses and the seven um, signs in John. What, what, what difference is that going to make? Because their concern was that we need to get out there and make a difference for Jesus now. Gently on that day, this professor said something to this effect. I know some of you are now even thinking that maybe you just need to drop out of Moody Bible Institute and go out and change the world for Jesus. And my advice for you is to remember this. God was managing to get his message out long before you were born. And he will still be at work long after you've passed from this earth. So be patient. Learn all you can now. And then wait for God to use you in his time and in his way. I think that's the essence of what Jesus is saying here. Wait. Wait for the gift that's promised for the Holy Spirit. Things are going to be different than you can imagine. More different than you can imagine. It's going to be more than just being immersed in water like you were with John. You're going to be immersed into the Holy Spirit. And I realize at this moment there are a lot of differing interpretations of what it means to be immersed in or baptized in, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I'm not going to come to a consensus today in one sermon as there are volumes written with no consensus. But there's something I think we can learn from these words of Jesus. These words to wait until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wait for the gift that's been promised. Let me give you a kind of a simple bottom line reality. I think what Jesus is saying to the disciples, I think what he's saying to you and me is keep in step with God. You see, my classmates back all those years ago, sometimes myself, we wanted to race out and make a difference. People are dying and going to hell and we need to go out there and make a difference. But we were inexperienced. We were young. We didn't have any people skills yet, or very little. We, we had some knowledge, but we hadn't learned how to put it to practice yet. We needed to keep in step with God, to wait, to let him grow us and season us and train us through the people that he had brought into our lives so that what we did would be for his kingdom and not some disaster. You see, just like the, the, these apostles, I think we have three choices. We can choose to just to go out and do it. To, to no holds barred. We're going to go change it. And I think that would be disastrous. We can do the opposite. We can just kind of sit back and go, yeah, well, you know what? If God's going to do his work, he's going to do it without me. So I'll just chill right here where I am and lag so far behind God, we become lazy. Or we can really believe that God knows exactly what he's doing. And we can learn to keep in step with him and be part of his work. I think the promise of the of baptism got the disciples excited. We, we see it beginning here in, in verse 6. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I think they all of a sudden they're gathering around him like, a, like players gather around a coach. Is this it? Is this the big game? We're at the beginning of what I believe is probably the best time of the year. We are at the beginning of football season. 
And, and, and if you've ever been on any sort of team, if you've ever watched any games, it, there come those times where the coach is standing there and all the players are surrounding the coach. And, and the coach gives them a, a talk. He reminds them of practice. He reminds them of what they've done. He reminds them to trust one another on the field. And, and he gets them all fired up. And, and sometimes you'll watch these college games and the guys are jumping. Hoo, 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 and they're getting all fired up. And then they're, they're ready. They're getting into this team chant. They're ready to go. Now, now, that may be a little over the top for what may have been going on in 33 AD. But the idea is they got excited. Could this be it? Could this be the moment we're waiting for? And so they ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Remember how I've told you oftentimes to read the Bible for, for detail? This is one of those places where I missed a detail that someone else in some of my reading pointed out. They pointed out, first of all, Jesus had just told them to wait. And they're talking about now. They're talking about now, it happening now. Jesus said, wait, now? No, wait, now? Wait. Now? Wait. Jesus told them to wait. But earlier Jesus had told them, and we read it in verse 3, that he spent a lot of time rehearsing the kingdom of God. But note what they say. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They got focused on a national kingdom. The Lord was talking about a spiritual kingdom. They got focused on a local kingdom. He was talking about a global kingdom. They were talking about a political kingdom, but Jesus wanted, wasn't interested in a political nationalist state. And Jesus gives them a gentle rebuke that we all need to hear. He says, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the late Eugene Peterson's uh, translation, the message states it more bluntly. You don't get to know the time. Timing is the Father's business. The point Jesus is making to his disciples is, no human being knows when this world will come to an end. No human being is privy to some kind of a secretly coded message from God that tells them exactly when Jesus will return. That's above our pay grade. And I think, in essence, that's what Jesus is telling the disciples. And I think he's telling us that. Avoid focusing on what is above your pay grade. You see, he has another task for the disciples and another task for us. And it's not to get all bent out of shape about things that are not going, we're not going to get an answer for. In fact, the only answer we're going to get to, when is the world going to end? When are you going to come back? When are you going to reestablish your kingdom? The only answer we get is what the angel told the disciples in verse 11 as they're standing there looking up into heaven, watching him go. And the angel says, why are you gawking at the clouds? That's kind of my free translation. Jesus is going to come back. Just like you've seen him go, he'll come back. That's all we got. Jesus will come back. He will come again. That's all we need to know. 
So, because when I get focused on all of these signs and the end times and everything else, I risk running and depending on interpretations and whims from human teachers. Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't focus on that. I've got something else better for you. And that's the next sentence. For you, will, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The promise is you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So don't worry about what's out there. Don't worry about what's coming. Wait until you receive power. There's going to be a change in you. You're going to have a, a renewed courage, a strength, a boldness that you've never had before. Then you're going to learn about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think just like those earliest followers of Jesus, we need to also trust in the reality and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. We need to trust the reality, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned we got these timeless and cultureless principles. This is our first key principle. This is our first one that I want you to remember. If you fall asleep from this point on, remember this. Trust the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. Individually and collectively as a church family, we need to trust the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. See, in our, in our circles, in, in churches kind of I grew up in, we tended to not say a lot about the Holy Spirit. We tended to be a little bit negligent about the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was Francis Chan several years ago released a book entitled Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. The fact of the matter is, the Bible is very clear. The Holy Spirit indwells all of us who believe. The Holy Spirit, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, is the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and He now indwells us. And in a really practical sense, that means that you and I always have within us the power to change and be who God wants us to be. Don't give me this, well, that's just the way I am. I can't change. That's not Bible. God says the power, the Holy Spirit, that power that raised Christ from the dead resides in you. You can change. Whenever you're pointed out an area to correct, it's, it's not good enough to say, well, that's just my habit. It can change. God can change you. If we are to be people who truly reflect the kingdom of God in this world, it's going to be when we daily learn to trust the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. And when we read through the rest of the book of Acts, and I hope you read through it, you're going to see people who were bold for Jesus, not because they were some kind of just nut that was courageous. It was because they trusted the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. It's so easy to get so practical and to think I got to do everything that's expedient that I forget the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some entity that slaps us around. He resides in us. He guides us. He teaches. He corrects us. And we can easily ignore Him. But we should never forget Him because we need to learn to trust the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit.
We're going to look more closely at the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the book of Acts, and you're going to see example after example of that, re that thing. Now, the, the other thing is, too, though, we need some balance as we study. Sometimes we get so caught up in amazing things we see in the book of Acts. Sometimes we get caught up in the amazing things we see in the gospel that we over-sensationalize the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we turn his work into like a, a sideshow. But we'll see as we look other places in Acts that there was this confidence in the followers of Jesus. Oh yeah, they'll do amazing things. But that wasn't the primary message. And yes, they'll go through some awful things. But that's not the primary message. You see, when they, went, when they did the amazing things and when they went through the awful things, it, it was a backdrop for something greater. It was a backdrop for the message of Jesus. Because when we trust the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit, we find we are best suited to follow the marching orders of Jesus. What are those marching orders? Here they are. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason we are to trust the power, the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit is not so we can do amazing things. It's so that we can be witnesses for Jesus. You see, simply stated, here's what Jesus wants you and me to do. Tell what we know about Jesus everywhere we go. Those first followers of Jesus were eyewitnesses. They had seen and experienced, and they had been giving convincing proof that Jesus was alive. Their, their task was to tell everyone that they had seen and heard and to show others that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the prophesied Messiah who died on the cross for their sins. If you look through the book of Acts, that's the important message. That's most prominent. All the amazing things and the difficult things are simply backdrops to highlight that message. The message that Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again, and is coming again. Jesus conquered the grave and wants all to come into relationship with him. Some of us have heard the message of Jesus, haven't we? We've read the accounts of the Bible. We've put our faith in him. We believe he died on the cross for our sins. And even though we're not eyewitnesses to what he actually did, we are witnesses to what God has done in our lives. My mentor used to say this, a witness is someone who simply tells what they know. You may not have all the answers to the questions another person asks, but you can simply tell what you know about Jesus. You can tell how he's worked in your life. Then make sure you live the way you say you've changed. A witness just tells what they know, but that's only part of what Jesus expects. He tells them that they will tell what they know in Jerusalem, and then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. On the one hand, Luke uses that statement to provide this outline for the book. But on the other hand, there's, a, I think, a different way to look at this. Some have seen it as these concentric circles, and that, that can be a helpful visual. But I like to simplify things. It just means tell about Jesus where you go. Jerusalem was the center of operations. So Jerusalem was like home base. So when you're at home, in your hometown, you tell about Jesus. Judea would be a broader region. Samaria was the place that no good Jew would go. You go to the places nobody else wants to go. 
You tell about Jesus. You go out about your state and your nation, you, you tell about Jesus. And the other the ends of the earth, well, that's kind of self-explanatory. You go tell about Jesus wherever you go, wherever you travel. Wherever you go, do people see Jesus in you? Wherever you go, do you take opportunities as they naturally arise to tell people what Jesus has done for you? That's what we're to do. You see, when we put our faith in Jesus, we become his representatives. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit, and we learn to lean on him. We discover that when we need it, he gives us the words to say at the time we need them. It's important that we do our part as well, which means first we make every effort that we daily remember to trust in the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that's based on, one, knowing what we believe, two, keeping in step with God, and three, avoiding what is above our pay grade so that we can be obedient and simply Tell what we know about Jesus everywhere we go. It really isn't that hard, but it requires a daily commitment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the practicality of your word this morning. Thank you for the practicality we've already seen in the book of Acts. And if nothing else sticks today, Lord, may we, even today, be reminded of the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit who is with us, who is in us, who is with us forever. May we learn to listen, obey, and follow. In Jesus' name, amen.